Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. For those of you who are tuning in online, we are so excited that you've carved out some time. I don't know where a lot of you are tuning in. I know we've got Mrs. Arnett on the West Coast, uh, Scott and Laura in Wisconsin. We've got uh, Scott in Nebraska. We, we've got people everywhere. Linda up in Canada. Hi, Linda. Uh, so we're super excited that uh, people are tuning in all over the place. Uh, we even have our own people that chose because it was negative eight this morning uh, to watch from home. So we hope you are enjoying yourself with your pajamas and your hot chocolate while we freeze. Actually, it's not too bad in here, right? You guys good? We ready to do this? So, uh, so when I was a junior high student, I uh, participated in a science project. Any of you parents do the science projects for your kids? Um, yeah, so now it's flipped. Now I'm doing projects for my kids. And, but this one was when I was in junior high, and, and specifically what I was uh, attempting to analyze and to look at was the effects of light on plants. Maybe you did something similar to this as a kid. And I had three kind of cardboard boxes where I put a bean in each of the box, and then I put them in various places in the house. So I had one right in front of uh, kind of our, our family room-ish window that got perfect light, and I had one that was also in a box, and it was farther away in a different room. It still got some light, and then I got another one. I put that in a box. I put a lid on it and a tiny little hole still to get some sunlight. Now, the variables were the same. So they got the same amount of water and they got the same amount of soil, but they differed in light. And so I was uh, studying this kind of thing and I kind of knew what was going to happen. And you can probably guess as well that in the end, there was only really one bean that grew. All of them grew to a certain extent, but only one was able to then be in a position to produce more beans. The others grew, but they didn't produce more. Uh, and it's really the same thing with our spiritual growth uh, as we look into this, um, as Alex just alluded to. Um, because if we're going to be spiritually healthy, we have to position ourselves to grow. Growth doesn't just happen. Uh, you know this, if, if you want muscles, uh, you don't just sit on your couch and, and hope muscles grow. Uh, if you want to be a long-distance runner, you don't just uh, sit out on the swing and, and hope that your body's just going to get in a position to be able to run a marathon. You have to position yourself to grow. And if we're going to grow spiritual fruit from our lives, if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus that are, that are affecting others in our lives, then we have to figure out a way to position ourselves uh, to grow as well. This morning, as Alex said, we're starting this very short series that we've titled Five Secrets for Growth. Now, I want to qualify uh, a couple of things uh, as we jump into this series. Number one, when we talk about spiritual, dif uh, spiritual disciplines for growth, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about five keys on how to impress God, okay? That's not what we're discussing. You can't impress God. The, the second thing that it's not is five keys to earn God's favor. You can't earn any more favor with God. You have all the favor that's available to you is available right now, whether you do something or not. 
It's also not a formula to where if we say, as Alex and I preach this series, if we say, well, if you do these five things and you put the perfect ingredient, uh, the perfect amount of each one, then here's what's going to be the result. God doesn't work that way. But what it is, is uh, our ability to better position ourselves to grow, much like Amy just described, the idea of studying the scriptures, and that is going to be one that Alex unpacks for us. And so you're also going to very quickly see that these, even though we've called it five secrets for growth, they're not secrets at all. It's very similar if you go to uh, your primary care physician for your annual checkup, you know that your primary care physician is going to go through several things that will better position you to be healthy long term. They're going to say things like, get better rest, uh, stay away from alcohol, stay away from high fatty foods, work in some exercise. They're not mysteries, but they have to tell us because we don't do them, <laughs> right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't do the things that the specialist is going to tell us to do to better position ourselves. Well, it's the same thing with Scripture. They're not rocket science, and they're certainly not secrets. But for whatever reason, we struggle with making sure that these elements are, are key patterns to our lives. Because you're going to find very quickly as we walk through this, it's about motives. It's about relationships. And, and these are not so much uh, boxes for you to check off so that you can make sure you're being Joe Christian. No, it's not, it's not the issue. It's to get to know God better and to grow closer to him. That's, that's the whole idea of these spiritual disciplines for growth. So that's our goal. Uh, some of you may know the name Don Whitney. He's a professor and associate dean in the, in the seminary world. And he defines spiritual growth like this. Uh, spiritual disciplines, those practices found in Scripture that promote growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Uh, there's nothing new to this. They're not secrets. We're going to play off this, but they are not secrets in any way. So here we go. This morning, we are talking about prayer. Now, I'm not going to have a show of hands on how, how many prayer comes easy to you, how many of you prayer is difficult for you, you have a hard time focusing and paying attention, but we are going to dive into prayer. Now, I have to say this also as we jump into this. I'm preaching this to myself because I have not fully come to that maturity level where prayer is just always uh, continuous and easy and lengthy. I'm still growing in prayer. So in, in a large part, I'm preaching this along with you because we all need these reminders. We all need reminders on what is prayer, how to pray, where to pray, what should I say, how long should I pray, when should I pray, all of those kind of aspects in order for us to grow in our faith are important. In fact, I'm growing in prayer as I speak. Throughout the uh, time of COVID, and believe it or not, we're coming up on almost a year of, of COVID, but since COVID, uh, God has repeatedly, on numerous occasions, almost on a regular basis, woken me up in the middle of the night and 
quickly names and faces of you all come to my mind. And so I pray. And I pray in as much detail as I possibly can, as much information that I know about you, I pray. In fact, if you're watching online and, and you have a prayer request, there's a blue button in the chat area. You can hit submit prayer request and that'll go to one of our uh, hosts to be able to pray with you. But uh, these things have been coming mind and it's been rich times of prayer once I got over the annoyance of being woken up and, and figured out why I'm being woken up. Uh, at first, I was not too pastoral with it. I was pretty irritated, but I figured out why God wanted me to intercede on behalf of all of you, and I have found it to be an incredible joy. Okay, so first things first. We're going to fly through a ton of scriptures. I think almost all of them except for two are going to be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open those. If you have your phones with the Bible app on that, I'd love for you to turn that on. We're going to be in Matthew here in just a moment. But we're going to answer the question, what is prayer? Now, it might seem very elementary. And I want to say to you, most of what we're going to hit in this series is elementary if you've been walking with Jesus for any great length of time. However, there are a lot of you who are brand new to Christ, brand new to church, brand new to the Bible, and these are going to be a little bit mind-boggling to you to help you understand how do you grow. In addition, for those of us who have been walking with God, much like going to the doctor, these are great, great reminders on how we begin to steer towards growth. And so we're asking the question, what? What is prayer? And in answer to that question, first of all, we'll see what prayer is not, and it's not a show. Prayer is not a show. It's not a show for God. It's not, a, it's not a show for those who are in the prayer meeting with you. It's not a show for your spouse if you're praying together. It's not a show. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, listen, don't be like the hypocrites. What that tells us is there were believers who would pray that were extremely hypocritical. So when, when people say, well, the church is filled with hypocrites, don't correct them because they're right. But we are not to be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. I don't want that to be told to you, and I certainly don't want that to be told to me. So that's first. What is prayer? It's not a show. Second, prayer is not meaningless repetition. Prayer is not just something you go through the motions and, and recite it because, well, that's what you were told to recite or that's what you learned as a kid. Uh, it is not uh, limited to now I lay me down to sleep type of prayer. It's not meaningless repetition. Just a few verses later, we read this. When you pray, notice he doesn't say if you pray, but Jesus says when you pray. That tells us something. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are growing in your relationship with Christ, you are one who prays. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard in church people will say, I'm not very good at prayer. Okay, well, I'm not very good at running a mile, okay? That doesn't mean you don't work at something. Prayer is something you have to work at. It's not an if. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty 
phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many, many words. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying to God. So I, I have to ask myself, when I'm praying, I have to ask myself immediately, what are my motives? Why am I praying? Am I praying to get a result from God? Am I praying to impress other people? Am I praying to fill time? Am I praying because I feel like if I don't pray, I'm going to go to hell? What are my motives for prayer? Because it's not if we pray, it's when. And so that's the what, but let's ask what is prayer? Well, prayer, very simply put, is just talking to God. It's talking to God like I'm talking to you right now. Uh, Christians are weird. We, we are very, very weird in, in when we pray. Because we'll have a conversation like this, and it's pretty normal. It's, it's very down to earth. And then we, we slip into like Christianese language when we pray. And those who don't have a relationship with God are like, what? I don't even understand what you're even talking about. It's because we, we slip into this idea that somehow we have to impress God. Somehow, somehow we have to use all of these words that we heard uh, pastors using when we were growing up. And, and therefore, prayer becomes hard because we can't just duplicate what someone else prays. God would much rather have you come before him and go, God, I, I don't even know what to say. That could be the most profound prayer you ever pray. And God meets you in that. In the context of spiritual growth, it's, it's this habit of having a repeated conversation with God. Puritan John Bunyan gave a more fleshed out definition of prayer. He said that prayer is a, and listen to what the words, these, these people are incredibly brilliant. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or the soul to God through Christ in the strength and the assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. Holy smokes. Like that is an incredible definition of prayer. What that ought to make you say to yourself or at least feel or think right now is, I need to reevaluate when I pray. Because prayer isn't just uh, giving a bunch of bumbling words to you kind of find your way. John Bunyan gives so specifics here on how we ought to be in prayer. And it's intentional. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, always be joyful. How many of you, that's hard? You can be honest, raise your hand. Always be joyful. The Bible's filled with these really fun bars that are set for us. That's why Jesus came and died for us. Always be joyful and never stop praying. Let me know how that goes this week. Philippians chapter four, don't worry about what? Yeah, all right, raise your hand if, you, if you're able to do that. Any of you? Don't worry about anything? Yeah, that's a little bit interesting. Instead, pray about what? Everything, not just some things, not just when you're in crisis, not just when you're, you're struggling uh, with life, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Th this is something that I've implemented over the last year, and, and it, 
I'll, I'll be honest with you, at first it took a ton of effort. I had to develop a habit. I've developed it now after a year where I literally thank God for everything. Every single time I see, sense, enjoy, joy, or, or I put on a brand new pair of socks, or I get in bed to brand new sheets, or I take a hot shower, or I see my kids smile, I'm in the habit now where I thank God for everything. And I promise you, if you think about implementing this in your life, your attitude on life will change. If you find yourself kind of bitter and frustrated and anxious and annoyed, try, just give it a shot, making your whole day filled with thanking God. Verse seven, if you do so, you will then experience God's peace. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I know holistically, I know what's going on in our country, I know what's going on politically, I know what's going on uh, with, the, with the virus, but I don't know what's going on in your particular life. But I know enough to know everybody searches and longs for peace. And the Bible is so abundantly clear with these if-then statements. If you do these things, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all, his, all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. The world will say, get into some Zen moment. Sit on a rock with your legs crossed, if you're still able to do that, and, and just focus on the goodness of the earth, and, and peace will come. And that's just not true at least not lasting, life-changing peace. You might have a, a, a gentle moment, you might have a quiet time and enjoy that, but it's not peace that transforms life. And what I want for you is peace that literally rocks your world and changes who you are to your being. Now there's a, a beautiful implication in these verses. It might seem obvious, but I wanna remind you of this, and it's this. God cares about you. With everything that's going on, with all the struggles, with all the tense, with all the backbiting, God cares about you. He cares what you say to him. He cares what you feel inside when you approach him. He, he cares about what keeps you awake at night in your fears. He, he wants to celebrate your joys with you. He cares for you. And as we embrace that, as we embrace that truth, it changes, hopefully, how we pray. That it's not a check off the box. It's not something we have to do. It's not something that is nagging at us. It's a joy. Because he wants to hear. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's to all of you beautiful people. Hopefully you've uh, done something loving. Um, I love to hear from Sandy. I love to hear her heart. I love to hear her joys. I love to hear what God is doing in her life. I love to hear uh, where she's relying on God. I love to have the, the substance of that conversation. It's the same thing with God. God loves to hear 
from you. He's nuts about you. So that's the what. Now the who. Let's look at the who. Who prays? Well, the only people who pray are the people who have needs and they want to get to know God better. In other words, only human beings. Now, what's interesting is uh, whether you're in a prayer meeting or, or even for those of you who are watching online, we'll say, hey, we would love to pray for you. Do you have any prayer requests? I always find it amazing when the room is silent. And I think, well, everybody just might, must be living a, a ten. Something's wrong with me because I'm living a six or seven. And no one has a prayer request. Like finances must be great. Everyone's health, health must be great. You just have nonstop smile on your face. Like life's just perfect when the reality is that's not true. It's just not true. We paint the picture, especially in church. We look our best. We smile. We act well. When someone says, hey, how it's going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Thanks for asking. And inside we're a wreck. So who prays? Everyone prays. Everybody should pray, especially for the natural child of God. If, if we want to keep growing, if you are one who wants to grow in the Lord, you are one who prays. You've probably heard it said before, prayer is often compared to breathing. Have you heard that quote uh, around the church? Jonathan Edwards said it. C.S. Lewis said it. I saw a meme on Facebook this week that attributed it to Charles Spurgeon, so we'll give him the latest credit. Uh, it said, when asked, what is more important, praying or reading the Bible? I asked, well, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? <laughs> it's so good. Uh, the, these eloquent uh, men and women of champions in the church just uh, have such eloquent ways of, of describing the things of faith. And it continues to this day. The reformers knew as they were wrestling with the scriptures and they were wrestling, what is faith? What's church? What's this whole idea of having a relationship with Christ? What does it really boil down to? And they knew that a vital existence of prayer is also vital for growth. It was the prominent secret, if you would, of discipleship. That one of the first things you do, if you want to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ, you begin to talk to Jesus Christ. You ever notice this with kids? There's nothing new under the sun. It happened when you all were kids. It, it'll happen when we're long gone and there's kids. You ever notice this? That when your kids hang out with certain kids, they start to talk like them and act like them and use mannerisms like them and humor like them. It's because we morph into the realm of community that we surround ourselves with. So when you pray, you're rubbing shoulders with the great guy. You're rubbing shoulders with the God of all creation, that, that all of creation, all of history bows before his throne. So you become more like him. You develop and take on his heart. So who is it that prays? Well, in, uh, in his days, Jesus prayed. John chapter 17, if you're following along in the scriptures, John 17 records one of the more lengthy prayers of Jesus. It's often called his high priestly prayer. Incidentally, you may not know this, in this prayer, guess who Jesus prays for? Us. Now, if you're new, again, new to Scripture, new to the Bible, new to church, new to this whole thing, Christianity, the fact that Jesus prayed for you is a very, very big deal. 
Here's what he says in John 17, 20. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of, of reading the gospel, especially reading about Jesus and go, man, he went over here, he fed 5,000, went over here, he turned water into wine, went over here and, and here, healed a paralytic. Like God, through Jesus, performed all these miracles and Jesus was so focused on his mission here on earth. And that's true. But there's a huge part of the heart of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that was thinking about the future of the church that was thinking about the kingdom. I'll go as far as to say, was thinking about you. People that would believe someday. Jesus prayed for you on that night that he was betrayed. Later that same evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had another famous prayer, right? In essence, he was saying, Lord, please let this cup pass from me. I'd rather not drink it. If there's any other way, why? Well, the humanity of Jesus can't be ignored. He didn't want to die. Jesus did not want to be beaten. He did not want to be tried. He did not want to be spat on and ridiculed with words. He didn't want to be tortured. And if there was any other way not to go to the cross, that, that was going to be optimal for him. He says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. I wonder, and, and this hit me pretty hard this week, I wonder, has it, has it ever occurred to you that the very fact that you and I can come before God at any moment of any day, in any second, in any situation, in any circumstance, in any location, hinges on the fact that God the Father didn't give access like that to his son. That the only reason you and I have that ability, have that gift, have that miracle is that God didn't request that. He didn't grant that request to his son. It, it gives a whole new meaning to even Good Friday that because of what Jesus endured, you and I, we can walk right up to the throne. And, and we, we can't just walk right up to the throne, but we can walk right up to the throne and start speaking. And we can shout. And we can question. And we can complain. Because God turned his back on Jesus. Jesus prayed, Lord, could I please not have to go to the cross? And God says, no. And that's a huge comfort to us because if God had not said no, then you and I would not be able to approach the throne. So there's comfort in that. So the follower of Christ prays. It, it doesn't say it's always easy, but it does say that the follower of Christ prays. Uh, and, and we do that if we want to grow. Now, when and where? When and where do we pray? Well, very short, we pray anywhere at any time. 
Think about this for a moment. Think about uh, the point where your life was most crazy. You found yourself in a really sticky situation and you prayed. Maybe if you're like me in grade school, it was often in the principal's office or uh, you know somewhere else. What was it for you, your, your, your hairiest situation where you prayed? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. And I would be willing to bet that your answer, you, those of you who are at home, those of you who are here in the room, I bet... Uh, your situation does not compete with Jonah's. Jonah found himself in the belly of a great fish at the bottom of the ocean and prayed. Now, I think I know the answer to this, but show of hands, any of you relate to Jonah? Oh, okay, perfect. All right, we got one fisherman. Okay, so we've got him at the bottom of the ocean, and he thinks he's going to die. Pretty good odds, being inside of a fish. Moses' sister Miriam, she led a great worship service where? In the wilderness, on the Arabian side of the Red Sea, praising God for delivering the people from Pharaoh's army. Moses spoke with God in the midst of fire and smoke on Mount Sinai. And later in the tent meeting, it says about Moses that God spoke to him and he spoke to God as what? A man speaks to a friend. In other words, there were no Christianese, there, there were no uh, fluffy statements, there were no beautiful, eloquent words. It was two people talking to each other. I, I love that. It's a it's beautiful intimacy where you can just speak frank with someone. You can pray here at church. You can pray at home. You can pray in your car. You can pray when, when you're discipling uh, or I, well, certainly discipling, but I meant to say disciplining your kids, uh, which is actually a really good practice for those of you who are uh, parents of young children. Pray as you discipline your kids. It'll help you, trust me. Uh, you can pray when you're going for a walk. You can pray when you're walking back and forth from the grocery store. In Psalm chapter 63, we see that David prayed in his bed. Some of you, that's a huge praise for you. You can have your prayer time in bed. King Hezekiah was sick on his deathbed. He turned his face to the wall. Doesn't seem like a very holy act. He turns his face to the wall and he prays and God answers his prayer and gives him 15 more years of life. The point is you can and ought to pray at any given moment wherever you are. That's a gift. It's not a task. It's a gift. It's a gift to help us grow. It's a gift to have uh, unbridled access to the King of Kings. So the question then is, well, what time of day? When should I pray? Well, Jesus prayed. It says in the morning in Mark chapter 1, it says before daybreak the next morning. I'm not a huge fan of that one, but nevertheless, I try. Uh, but, you know, some people like to pray before the sun comes up. I don't like to get up before the sun comes up. But if that's when you want to pray, then all the power to you. Jesus got up uh, before daybreak. He went outside to an isolated place to pray. Jesus also prayed in the evening. So for those of you who are night owls, this is encouraging for you. On the day he fed 5,000 people after a long, hard day, it says in Matthew 14, by the way, when you think you've had a long, hard day, Feed 5,000 people and then come talk to us. All right, so Jesus performs this miracle. Then he says, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. You're starting to get the point here. 
In the Old Testament, with Daniel, it tells us that he prayed three times a day. Now, we don't have time to unpack Daniel's uh, story, but uh, essentially the government said, you can't do this anymore. You can't pray to God, and every, anyone who is caught doing that is going to be punished. That's the essence of the story. You can read that in the Old Testament book of Daniel. However, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. When Daniel knew that the document had signed, in other words, a law was passed into law, uh, that it had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This was a habit for Daniel. It wasn't a task. It wasn't something at the end of the day where he's like, oh gosh, I still have to pray. I've been there where any of you ever done reading through the Bible in a year and now you're like 14 days behind. You're like, oh, now it's a chore. God doesn't want this stuff to be a chore. What Alex and I are going to unpack over these next five weeks, they're not chore. They're a blessing to you. And if you begin to wrap your mind around that, picturing prayer as like one of the greatest gifts to you, then it's way less of a chore. And that's what the case was for Daniel. It was just habit. And the law wasn't going to stop him because he was talking with his God. We're told to pray constantly. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, in this grocery list of commands, says, be constant in prayer. Or maybe your translation says, uh, be devoted to prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with what? thanksgiving. So pray, watch what happens, and give thanks. And literally, we could go on and on for hours about prayer. We really could. We could talk about how to pray and what it looks like and why it's so important and, and drive this home, but I think you get the point. Prayer is a must. Prayer in so many different forms, so many different ways that you can pray is the first secret for growth in our faith in Jesus Christ. It's such a gift. And I just want to ask you, are, are you one who prays? Do you pray? Do you talk to God with, with great intimacy? Do you strive for that? Do you, do you pray before meals to give thanks? Do you pray in the morning with a thankful heart that God gave you another day of life? Do you pray at night because he sustained you? That he got you through the day? Do you pour out your your fears and your joys to him? Do you confess? Do you, do you ask for permission on things? Do you ask him questions? Do you praise him? Do you bring your complaints as we just studied in the book of Habakkuk? Do you bring your complaints to him? I hope so. I, I, I hope you're praying. I hope you're growing in prayer. I hope it's beginning to grow on you as you work at prayer. And if not, if prayer is hard, then you find yourself in great company. Because for so many, prayer is a difficult task. Prayer, sustained ongoing prayer, it takes work. 
It really does. It's not only a discipline, but it's actually a perishable skill. You know what perishable skills are, and if you don't practice it, it diminishes. It's like if you have, you have friends, quote unquote friends, that maybe you haven't seen them for a long time. Well, those friends that are true friends, the minute you see each other, it's as if no time has passed. But I guarantee there are other people in your life that when you talk to them and you haven't seen them or talked to them for a long time, it's awkward. You really don't know where to go with the conversation. God wants it to be this beautiful, ongoing, strengthening growth process. And this next week on Wednesday, on our social media sites, both on Instagram and Facebook, I, I want to give a, a, an, a selfless, selfish uh, plea that if you are on social media, uh, please follow us on both Instagram and Facebook. We do a ton of announcements on those places. We highlight a bunch of things that the church does. And this week on Wednesday, in fact, every week throughout this series, we're gonna be posting more practical ways. This week is gonna be practical ways to pray. And we're gonna give you suggestions. Uh, some of them you might already know, but we're gonna try and feed you more tools to help you understand how you can develop or strengthen or expand your life of prayer. So please look for that on Wednesday. As we get ready to close here, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China in the 19th century said this, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Some of you need God to work. You've done all you can. You have fixed it as far as you can fix it. And now you need to pray. And pray hard. And pray long. That doesn't always mean speaking. Practice an attitude of silence in your prayer. See, I don't know the details of all of your lives. I know a lot. But I don't know all the details of all of your lives but I'm fairly certain I can say this with confidence. God can work better than you. He just can. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The promises of the scripture. I will show up in your times of trouble. And then finally, I've mentioned Brother Lawrence several times in my messages, he was a 17th century monk who kept this ongoing relationship, this dialogue with God going literally all day long. If he was washing dishes, doing laundry, uh, vacuuming, whatever he was doing, he had this ongoing conversation that never ended. He ended up writing a book about it and it was called Practicing the Presence of God. Friends, I want to invite you this week as you go into a season of growth for these next five weeks to practice the presence of God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge that we can't grow in this relationship with you if, if we don't even know you. 
if we don't talk with you, if we don't pour our hearts out to you, if, if we don't acknowledge you, if, if we don't spend that time, how in the world do we grow that relationship? And on a day where culture highlights love is in the air of Valentine's Day, we recognize you first loved us. That you gave your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You, our great God and King, would you please come and prompt our hearts this week to have a thankful heart, to, to correspond with you, to pray, and to listen, and to hear, and to watch as we grow. So thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for your scriptures that are, that are so timely for us that point us in the right direction for hope. We do love you. Pray this in the name of the powerful Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand, whether you're here in the room or at home, would you please stand?